Father, we are just so thankful and grateful for another day. God, thank you for letting us have a day to come and worship you, to read your word, to sing, to pray. And Jesus, we ask this morning that you would help us to be pleasing and honoring to you. Lord, we don't just want to ask that we would be. Because God, if what we're doing is not pleasing and honoring, God, I pray that you would you would reveal it to us so that we can change. And God, we just pray that you would speak into our hearts and help us to see and understand what pleases you, what honors you, what makes you happy. And Father, we just we want to worship you today. And I pray, God, as we read your word, that you would speak and and move in our hearts. Lord, we always ask that your Holy Spirit would be here. And once again, we ask it, God, that you would send your spirit. And it would not only be in this building, it would not only be in this place, but God, more importantly, it would be in our hearts. So that we can be changed and shaped and molded into the men and women you've called us to be. Father, there are a lot of people who need our prayers this morning. We pray for all of our our brothers and sisters who have been struggling with ailments for a long time. Lord, we lift them up to you today. Lord, we pray for Miss Connie Fine. We pray for Bruce's brother, his wife. Pray for the Bowens this morning. God, we pray for Martha Watson and her family today. Jesus, we just ask that you would touch them in their various situations and circumstances. And Lord, um, we just ask that you would help us to worship you this morning. Help our hearts to be in tune with you. Help us to know that we have visited with you this morning. So when we leave this place, that we will be committed to you in a new and fresh way. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and we ask all this in your precious and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, we are in week four talking about prayer and fasting. And we're going to continue on for a couple more weeks. But um, can I be honest with you this morning? Uh, Every about right before the summer... And right at the end of the year, I generally try to take some time to get away for two or three days, really spend some time praying and just asking the Lord, you know, what he wants us to discuss and study in our sermons on Sunday mornings. And uh, as I was doing that this past December, I can remember writing these things down, you know, writing the topics down for the coming months, trying to at least get to the summertime, get a good start. And I remember when I felt like prayer and fasting should be something we talked about. I was not super excited. Can I be honest with that? Like prayer and fasting is not necessarily something that I enjoy personally. Like it's something I believe it's beneficial. I've done it. I've tried to make it a, uh, a, a general practice, a, a regular practice in my life. It's not something I particularly enjoy. Also, I don't feel like it's something that when you start talking about it as a church that people get super excited about it. You know, I, I felt like this could be a, a series that people just kind of check out and be like, oh my gosh, how much can you talk about prayer and fasting? Um, you know, this isn't very interesting and all that stuff. But over the past few weeks, <clears throat> it's been really cool 
to get the text messages and calls from people. Uh, I can't tell you how many times somebody said, I'm really enjoying the series. Like, this is really good. God's been speaking to me. This has been very convicting. And so, you know, as we talk today, we're talking about praying and fasting in order to receive. Okay? Um, there are times in our life when, you know, last week we talked about direction, praying and fasting, if you just don't know which way to go. If you're looking for an answer, if you're looking for God to show you something and you just don't know what it is yet, then you seek the Lord for direction. But as sometimes you know exactly what you need. Like God has already revealed to you the need at hand. And so basically sometimes we're just sitting around waiting on God to fulfill that need or answer that specific prayer. And there's really a need for us to kind of empty ourselves out of things of the world in order to make room for God to work and move and and for spiritual things to take place. That's kind of what we're talking about today. I just want to remind you, I think it was, I thought it was really cool this week as I've, I've talked with Pastor Timmy, some other people about how I was not very confident about this series, but it's really amazing at how a lot of times if we will just do what God wants us to do and not necessarily go with like what we think or feel, you know, because we don't always know what God's doing or what, what he, how he's working or what he's, what he's up to. But if we'll be faithful We'll put ourselves out there, be obedient to the Lord. It's amazing whenever we empty ourselves of kind of what we want, what we desire, things that are easy to come by and make room for God to move, how incredibly awesome it is that God always shows up. Because He does. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. So we're in Ezra chapter 8. This is a little bit of an obscure book. Most of you probably have not sat around and read Ezra multiple times. You probably haven't done a Bible study on it. But it's a great passage. Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23 is where we're going to be. And we're going to be talking about this time that Ezra is getting ready to uh, move this large group of people and this large amount of items back to Jerusalem. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory before we go into this. If you never read Ezra, you need to read it. At least read chapters 1 through 8 sometime this week to get you up to where we're going to be talking about today. Because a lot of stuff has happened, and you have to track through the Bible a little bit to kind of figure out where you are. For example, in the book of Daniel, we already know that Daniel was reading the words of the Lord from the prophets, and he realized that they had spent 70 years in captivity, and the 70 years was about to be up, and they would be allowed by God to go back to Jerusalem. We already know by this point that they have been allowed to go back to Jerusalem. They've been rebuilding the temple. They've been rebuilding Jerusalem. They've accomplished all that. The temple's kind of been dedicated for the first time. There's already been some sacrifices but they are limited on the people, they're limited on the items, so they haven't really been able to really outfit the temple the way it's supposed to be. And so Ezra, who has devoted his life to the Lord and studying the Word of God, goes from Jerusalem back to Babylon. And he's talking to King Artaxerxes, okay? So he's got this audience with the king, which is pretty impressive. And he asked the king for certain things that they need in order to finish out the temple and really get it to where it needs to be so that the worship and the sacrifices and the offerings could all take place the way that it needs to happen. 
And the king, Artaxerxes, looks very favorably on him. He's like, he listens to everything Ezra says. He convinced that what Ezra says is true. He's on board. He gives them food, clothing. He gives them all kinds of supplies. He gives them everything they need to go back and make the journey. And he encourages him, gives them these, these letters of passage. They don't have to pay tolls on the roads. I mean, he really sets them up nicely. And when we get to chapter 8... Ezra and his people are about to make this journey. So let me give you an insight on what they're about to do. 750 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. And during this time, it's going to take about four months. Okay? We're talking about Oregon Trail stuff. Okay? We're not talking about, hey, let's fly to... LA or something like that on the other side of the country. Like, no, we're talking about you get on a wagon, you go, you die from dysentery. Okay? Dangerous. It's not a journey that people want to make. And you look at the Middle East, you look at this area, even today, this area, if you were to go out and you were to travel by foot in this area today, it would be pretty dangerous. I would be scared to go without guards and, and you know, this, a group of people uh, to kind of ensure a little bit of protection and a little bit of security to make that journey today. And so they're about to go on this great journey. We're going to see this example of how Ezra and his people begin to fast. We're going to look at some background stuff. Great story. Let's read together. Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. And it says, And there by the Ahava Canal... I gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before our God. This is Ezra speaking, by the way. We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, and our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from the enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he heard our prayer. Very short, very simple, super interesting. And I always try to kind of leave our scripture on a little bit of a cliffhanger so that there'll be a little bit of a desire in your heart to go back and kind of read up on the story and study it yourself, which you should, because it's a great story. But point number one this morning is that in times when you see that there has been a need in your life or a need in a situation, and you know what that need is, God has revealed the need to you. You don't have to go asking God, God, what do I need? You already know. You need to present that need to the Lord with fasting and prayer. Okay, now that's really simple. It's really elementary. And we're kind of getting to the point a little bit where you might see a little bit of like repetition in our points and things like that as we are approaching like different aspects of prayer and fasting. But sometimes we just need to be reminded, if you have a need, you go to the one who can give it to you. If you have a need, you got to go to the one who can give it to you. That's super important. In this moment, Ezra understands this great need for protection and guidance along this journey. This is something that no one does with, with light thought and light heart. Like This is something that, it's, that he's already made the journey there. He understands what it's going to take. And the journey back is going to be a lot worse. And we're going to talk about some more reasons why here in a second. 
but there's this clearly identified need that they need protection along the way. And you got to take note that it's, it's pretty interesting that Ezra says he was ashamed to ask the king. Now think about this. He's already gotten everything that he asked Artaxerxes for and even more. Like you can go, you go back and look, and, and, and the king granted them. He even gave them the ability to go to any of his treasuries. So he had treasuries all over the place, multiple treasuries, and that he could go to each treasury and withdraw so much gold, so much silver, so, so, so much things from that treasury to take to Jerusalem at each individual treasury. He gave them safety of passage, a letter for safety of passage. He gave them the ability to travel on the roads without having to pay tolls along the way. Artaxerxes set them up very good to make this journey. He really laid it out there for them on a red carpet to make this journey as much as he could as king. But the problem is, is that during this whole time, uh, uh, Ezra has come and he presented himself for the king and he's talked this big game about God, Right? Our God is powerful. Our God is great. We're doing this. And, and it's really cool because between Darius and, and I forget the other one, and then there was a different king, and then coming into Artaxerxes, there, there were, there's some sort of a history going on here where they had like, they remember what Nebuchadnezzar had done and how they had looked favorably upon the people of Israel and what the things that God had done that you read about a lot during the book of Daniel. So he kind of knew all that. And he also kind of knew about the temple and the articles from the temple. And he also knew what the kings before him had allowed the Israelites to do to go rebuild the temple. And so there's a little bit of a rapport that God has set up. Now God has helped Artaxerxes look favorably on him. And so basically, it's within reason to think that Ezra could go to Artaxerxes and say, hey, look, we're about to make this journey. We need some uh, security. We need some guards to help us along the way. But he's ashamed. He's ashamed to ask him for protection because they've talked this big game about God, about how God can protect them. God can watch over them. God can provide for them. And this is our God and we serve him. And so there's this hesitation. He was ashamed to even ask Artaxerxes for this. So then they began to fast and pray, in essence, that God would hear them and give them the protection that they needed along the way. How many of you would want protection? How many times have we gone on a church bus and we say, okay, let's pray, let's ask the Lord to protect us on our trip before we leave? If you haven't, you should, because church bus drivers are terrible. I'm a church bus driver. And you do. You need protection, and we know that. But the truth is, is that a lot of times we come into this and we just assume that God's going to do things for us, right? I mean, think about how many times you just assumed God's going to take care of you. God's going to catch you if you fall. And there's a little bit, I don't want to discredit faith and just trusting in the Lord in that manner, but there's also an immaturity in that faith as well to just assume that God is just going to catch you if you fall. There's a need, a great need in our lives to truly give God the credit and honor and glory that He deserves and to pursue Him in a way that is deserving of what He is willing and able to give us. And so when you go on this journey, you say, okay, why, why is this such a big deal? 
Well, let's talk about what some of the items that they're carrying along the way. So as Ezra and these men and women and children are getting ready to make a 750-mile, four-month journey in wagons, donkeys, camels, walking, you name it, like it's going to be drug out for a long time. They've been able to acquire 24 tons of silver, 7,500 pounds of silver articles, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bowls equal in value to 1,000 gold coins, and two fine articles of polished bronze described as precious as gold. Now, just taking the measurement from the silver and gold, and if, if you ever keep up with silver and gold prices per ounce and things like that, it fluctuates. It's kind of like the stock market. It changes every day. But what I did this week is I took whatever day I added it up on. It was over $260 million worth of silver and gold just off of the measurements we had. Now, we don't have the amount of bronze, but it said it was considered as valuable as gold. Don't know how much it was, so it's not in there. $260 million worth of silver and gold that they were taking with them along with food and clothing and everything else they were going to make this journey on. 750 miles, four months in one of the most volatile and rough areas in the world. Not to mention that Nebuchadnezzar has given them letters of passage, communicated with all their treasuries, communicated with his officials. These letters have been sent out. A lot of people know that this journey is about the place, and a lot of people know the amount of wealth that they're going to be carrying along the way. Now, how many of you, for lack of better terms, would be a little puckered to walk around with $260 million worth of cash? Any of you worry about that journey? How many of you, if I gave you $100,000 in cash this morning, would be nervous to put it in your car and drive the food line in Chesney, go inside, shop for groceries, and leave the cash in your car? Anybody be nervous about that? When you think about the significance of the amount of wealth that's being taken place, I mean, that's, that's like moving the currency of a nation. I mean, I mean, like that's that's a, a generations of wealth built up over time. That's an enormous amount of money, and here are these people moving it, and a lot of people know that they're moving it, and there's a lot of time on the road, and they don't have any guards or horsemen or soldiers to go along with them. They're making this trip simply off of faith, and they see their need. They know the need. All right, do we need safety? We need to be taken care of. They see the need. They come to the Lord. They ask the Lord for it, and they fast and pray in preparation that God would give them what they need. So this morning, just an easy example. There are times in our life where we know what we need. All right? You just know. And you know it's part of God's will. Great example is, let's just say you have a loved one that you love dearly, you care about them more than anything in the world, and you know that that person that you love more than anything needs to be saved. You might have been praying for somebody like that. All right. So there's somebody in your life you know needs to be saved. Is there any reason in all of creation that God would not want that person to be saved? No. 
When you think about it, everything that God has done, everything about Christ has been set up so that that person could receive salvation. So the only thing that's keeping them from being saved is really them. Like they have to come to the point where they acknowledge that they're a sinner. They need the Lord. They call on the name of Jesus to be forgiven of sin. It's something that God has to work in their heart. And then they have to be one to humble and submit themselves. And so if you know that it's something that's that's needed and it is God's will, there's no reason why God would not want that. You begin to fast and pray and seek the Lord. And like we said last week, you don't give up. And that's what we are famous for doing as people. If we do something and it doesn't work, then a lot of times we'll give up, we'll try something different. But when it comes to spiritual things, we have to be committed to this idea that God is the only one who can give me this, who can answer this prayer that I can receive this from, and so I'm going to stick with Him until He answers it or until I die. You've got to be committed to it. And that's tough. Because when we commit to fasting and prayer, first of all, whenever we're fasting, we're denying ourselves of that. When we commit to praying, we're denying ourselves the time that it takes to pray that we could be doing something else. And that's hard. It takes a lot of faith because a lot of us are doers. I'm a doer. It takes a lot of faith for me to not try to do something to fix the problem and just sit down and pray and rely on God to fix the problem with me doing nothing. That takes a lot of faith for me. That's kind of my personality. But if you see the need, and there's no reason why God wouldn't want that to happen, and you know it's part of God's plan, He's revealed that to you, then it's very important for us to present the need to the Lord with fasting and prayer and not delay. Don't let it be the last-ditch effort. Don't let it be the last option. Let it be the thing that we start with. Remember, Prayer and fasting should not be irregular, but it should be something that is a regular part of a Christian's life. Point number two. Sometimes we've got to understand that we might be the only one who sees the need. And this is difficult. Now, if you pay close attention to this story, you know, it's not like the people were getting ready to go on the journey and they decided to huddle up and they're like, okay, as a group, let's all collectively decide with one another that we're all going to fast and pray. No, Ezra's the leader. He's the one who's doing this. He's got everything together. And in this moment, he understands why it would be inappropriate to ask Artaxerxes for the soldiers and the protection. Now, most of us would probably say, well, it would just be easier to ask him for the protection and make sure we got the soldiers and make sure we're taken care of. And then we can fast and pray for the Lord's protection too. But Ezra, in this moment, he sees things that everyone else in his group doesn't see. And it just happens to be a situation where he's a leader. And so he calls the people together and he orders them to fast and pray. And thankfully, in this moment, they're all willing to do it with him because they understand the severity of what it is that they're about to do. But that's not always the case. And so in life, especially in church, I mean, let's just be honest. We all know that that church can be a very difficult place for people to get along. That's no secret. That's kind of the elephant in the room. People who uh, have a hard time going to church, they talk about the, the disgruntledness and the disagreements in church a lot. It's true. You read most of the New Testament. You read the epistles. Most of them are written about operating in the body of Christ with unity, camaraderie, joining together, being of one heart and mind, it addresses that issue constantly. 
And so even if you're sitting here this morning, and, and let's just say God has revealed something to you, it can be very frustrating when you feel very strongly of something, like you feel like God showed this to me, God spoke to me about this, and no one else can see it, no one else can understand, that dang pastor will not listen to me for nothing. And, and I feel like God spoke to me. It's like, we have to remember and remind ourselves that we cannot get frustrated in the moments when God has revealed things to us. First of all, we got to remind ourselves that we can pray and fast on our own as individuals, right? We can pray and fast on our own as individuals. We can begin to pursue the Lord. God, if you showed me this, if you revealed this to me and no one else has seen it in this moment, God, help me to help others see this and we're going to pray and fast so that other people can see this. You can open up their eyes too. And not to get frustrated, because that's our instinct. And especially with spiritual things and personal convictions, people tend to get very frustrated, and we take it very personal, and we get very serious about it, because, you know, that's, that's kind of in our eyes. It's, it's morality. It's, like, it's the difference between right and wrong. And one of our first instincts, which is a sinful instinct, is to get angry and frustrated, and then we start fighting for what it is we feel like is right. But the truth is, when you read Scripture... Scripture constantly calls us as believers to not fight for ourselves, but to let God fight for us. Taking the time to step back and fast and pray opens up the door to remove the world from our life, the, the need for us to fight for ourselves, and it opens up the opportunity for Christ to come in and Christ to fight for us, for the spiritual aspects of things to take place. And so you, you look at the life of Jesus and there's no better example of someone who absolutely 100% knew the will of God, who was devoting his entire life in perfection to achieving God's plan, and yet at the same time he's dealing with groups of people who are constantly letting him down. And you think about the disciples who tried to cast out the demon of the little boy and they couldn't. And so the father brings him to Jesus and, and Jesus gets a little frustrated at that moment. He's like, how, how, how much longer am I going to have to put up with you? You know, it's like there's obviously times of frustration even for Christ in that moment. But when you look, he never gives up on the disciples. He continues to minister to them, to teach them, even until the bitter end when he's dying, and they've betrayed him, and they've denied him, and they've all ran away and abandoned him, he still puts his trust in them to deliver the message of the gospel. And it's so important because when you read the gospels, the disciples are weak and scared and unsure. And then Acts happens in Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit comes, and it's like, boom, game changer. They're completely different people, and now they're doing these amazing things that Christ was doing and even more. And so Christ was patient and understanding with the disciples, teaching them. And even the people who were putting him to death on the cross, you think about what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the first part of verse 34, it says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And everything within us wants to get mad and frustrated and we want to fight and we want to defend our, our, our view or our convictions. And the truth is, is that we don't have to. 
that we have a Father in heaven who will fight for us. We have a Father in heaven who will reveal things for us. We have a Father in heaven that if we will take the time to fast and pray, I think we would be amazed at all the many things that God would give us if we put ourselves in a position in order to receive them. But the truth is, is that we put our trust and faith in things of the world and in ourselves a lot of times. That's why we feel the need to fight to defend ourselves, because we're putting our trust and faith in us rather than God to reveal it and show it. So you got to understand there are times in this life where you might be the only one who sees what's going on, but be patient, be loving, be an understanding, trust in God. That's one of the reasons why we fast and pray, because we're putting our trust, our time, our effort, our focus on Christ in order to let Him do the work, because I'm telling you this morning, it's so much more powerful if God speaks to somebody and helps them to see what it is that you see versus us forcing it on them. If we try to force it on other people, it will constantly push them away. And you know this. You know this because there's probably, we talked about it a while ago, the person in your life that you love dearly, that you want to see them saved, that you care so much about them, you've probably tried to talk to them so much about Christ and changing their life that if you bring it up, it's almost like this tense thing where it kind of like pushes them away a little bit. The more you bring it up, the more you talk about it. And that's why sometimes we just need to say, God, you're the only one who can do this. You're the only one who can provide this for us. Even if we're the only one who can see it, sometimes we just need to take a step back and say, God, you have to be the one to open up people's eyes. I can't open up people's eyes. I can't make people see. I can't make people believe, God, you've got to do that. So we trust in him to do it. Point number three, last one, we have to practice true faith. We got to practice true faith. If you don't have faith... We're, you're in trouble. If we don't have faith as people, we're all in trouble. Our whole relationship with Christ is built off faith. And it's really funny how in a lot of ways we can get faith in, in, in really, I mean, the best way to put it is kind of in immature ways. But then when it comes to faith, sometimes we as believers, we don't grow into the faith that Christ would have us to as quickly as we should. Sometimes it takes a little longer. And so believing in Christ and accepting Him as Lord and Savior is something that a lot of people come to the point where, where we believe and we have faith, and so we accept Christ for salvation. But, but then what? Then what about faith? How do we exercise faith beyond just believing that Christ died for my sins and I call on His name to cleanse me of my sins? And, and the concept of, of fasting and prayer is all about faith. I mean, you have to think about it. I said earlier in the sermon, it's not like I enjoy praying and fasting. I don't enjoy fasting because you're denying yourself of things that you generally like, right? How many of us like to deny ourselves of things we like? I don't. And I told you before, I'm, I'm ADHD. I like to be busy. I like to do. And so to take time and pray and rely on God to do something when I could be doing something... That's really hard for me to do. It takes a lot of faith for me to just stop and not do and to let God do. It's a lot of faith. Now, some of you might come a little more natural than others, but it takes faith to do that. You have to be willing to believe 
that as you deny yourself something of this world, that God can replace it with something spiritual that's better. you got to have faith to believe that. It's kind of a spiritual investment. You're denying yourself of something physical in order to receive something spiritual that's better. You're denying yourself of the time that you have to do something else that you are going to spend now on praying. That's faith. It's just one way that we as believers exercise faith. This is why I said last week, and I'll say it again this week, fasting and prayer should not be an irregularity. It should not be something that we only do once a year or that we do a certain season of the year, but it really should be something that we we do regularly in our life. The concept of denying ourself of the world to receive spiritual, eternal things That's what being a Christian is all about. Fasting and prayer is just one example of that. And you look at this story. It's so funny, man. Because as godly and as cool of a man as Ezra is and how devoted he was to God's Word and he had been teaching it to all these other people, and he goes to the king, Artaxerxes, and he makes his request and he talks about the God of Israel... And he's, he's successful. It's like, boom. It's like God worked all that out. And Artaxerxes gives all this stuff. He's like, this is our contribution. This is our gift offering to the God of Israel. So even Artaxerxes, in his own way, is participating in giving offerings to the God of Israel. And Ezra now has this, this dilemma in his life. Is he going to practice true faith... Or is he going to rely on the easiest thing it is to grab at? And you and I deal with this a lot more than we would like to admit. Because in our lives, as as Americans, as the amount of wealth that we have access to in our life, I know that there are people probably even in here who have had hard times in life, and maybe you are not as fortunate as someone else across the room. But I think it's pretty easy to say that even for us as Americans, the concept of knowing where our next meal comes from, we probably have never had to give much thought to that. Maybe there was a time in your life when you did, but hopefully not now. Your shelter, your home, You probably haven't had to, I mean, like you've had to work hard for it. You've had to pay money for it. You've had to keep it up. But at the same time, it's like it's there. It's like you've been able to have a home. And a lot of other people around the world just have not been able to have a home. Clothing. Just like so many things that we take for granted. And as people, we constantly have this access to really anything. I mean, like today, in in our culture today, You can talk about homelessness and things like that. And a vast majority of homelessness is due to mental illnesses and other things. It's not because people just can't get a job and can't do stuff. It's like there's a lot of other stuff going on behind the scenes that leads them to that place. It's not because there's not places or shelters available for them or meals available for them. There's some other stuff going on. We take that for granted. And you look in this moment right here. And Ezra is is tempted because he knows 
that Artaxerxes has been so favorable that he could probably go to Artaxerxes and say, hey, can you give us some soldiers to protect us on this trip? Because we just carrying around $250 million worth of silver and gold, and we're just kind of worried that that's putting a big target on our backs. And Artaxerxes probably would have given it to him. And it would have been super easy for him to go and ask that. But instead, Ezra's ashamed. Why is he ashamed? Because he's talked this big game about how great and amazing the God of Israel is. And how he protects those who believe in him. And his anger rages on those who abandon him. And he's talked this big game and he's promoted the God of Israel. And now Ezra realizes that his words carry weight. And that while it would be super easy and very practical, now this is a word that we struggle with a lot. We talk about this even in our board meetings a lot because there are a lot of things It's like you, you struggle the difference between doing practical things that make sense versus stepping out on faith and maybe doing some things that don't make a whole lot of sense. Right? Can you imagine if you took all the people in here right now and said, okay guys, we're going to make a 750 mile journey. It's going to take four months. We're going to do it on foot. Maybe some of you ride a wagon. You might get a donkey. And we're going to make this trip. And we're each going to sit probably, let's just, uh, the 250 million, we're going to give you all a couple million dollars in cash that you're going to carry on you at all times. You're going to be very vulnerable. And if you took a vote among the people and said, who wants to ask the king for guards and the police and army and and an armed escort, how many of you would lean more towards... The armed escort. Yeah, thank you for being honest. Most of us would. I would. That'd be one of the things I'd lean towards. And then you have the other half of the, the church or the group of people who's probably saying, no, let's trust in the Lord. And that's one of the biggest things we struggle with as a church a lot of times, even when we're making decisions, whether or not you're going to do things that are practical and make sense, or whether or not you're going to step out on faith and trust in God and say, hey, we feel like God's leading us to do this. We don't have the money. We don't have the ability. We don't have the people in place. But hey, if this is what God's leading us to do, let's do this. Or are we going to do the practical? And that's a big struggle. And in your life, you're going to face those same struggles. There are going to be times where there's going to be an easy answer right there that you could just go pluck it off the shelf and take that on with you and say, hey, this this is the best option. It's easy. I can have this right now. I can do this. Or you can put your trust and faith in God and do something that doesn't make a lot of sense to a whole lot of other people. But Ezra understands that his words carry weight. And he's ashamed to ask Artaxerxes because he knows it's like, if I ask Artaxerxes for him to protect us, it's showing that I really don't believe what I've been saying all along. And there's some of us as believers this morning that we talk a big game. We, we say, oh, I believe in God. I trust in God. I do this. But we don't live and make our decisions based off of that faith that we claim to have. And that's why the need for prayer and fasting is so important to remind us to trust in God, to remind us to lean on Him, to not just pick the first practical, common sense thing that comes along and say, that's what we're going to do, but to really trust in God and say, God, we're going to put our trust and faith in You. Because it's not, the most important thing is not us making it safely. You realize that? 
The most important thing is not Ezra and the people making it safely. It's important. They want to make it safely, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that God gets honored in all of it. And the best way for God to get honored is, is for a group of people who's about to make this journey to trust in Him like they've been claiming all along versus just going and picking the easy thing off the shelf and saying, oh, by the way, King, can you protect us because we really don't believe what we've been saying all along? Because that's the message you send. Everything that you do in this life, everything sends a message. It communicates something. Your willingness to fast and pray sends a message to God. Your willingness to step out on faith sends a message to God, but it also sends a message to other people. And whenever we fail, it gives other people the opportunity to say, see, they don't believe what they say they believe. They weren't willing to trust God. They needed us to protect them. They needed us to go with them. They talked this big game about how awesome their God was, but when it came time to trust in their God, they didn't trust in Him. They wanted to put their trust and faith in us. And there's a world of people who say that all the time because a lot of times as believers, we mess up and choose what's of the world rather than putting our trust and faith in the Lord. You just have to think, you know, how willing are you to receive from God today? I mean, I mean, that's the idea. It's like, do you just want to keep <clears throat> relying on, on worldly things and your own efforts? Because that's exhausting. It's exhausting in its own way. And it's so much more freeing. And we don't realize that a lot of times because it stresses us out to think, oh, I'm, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and we'll trust in God to do that. It, like, it stresses us out to think that we're going to trust in God to get us there safely rather than trust in the king's guards. But in reality, it's so much more freeing and satisfying to put our trust and faith in the Lord and to rely on Him. But we have to make room. We have to make room in our life to rid ourselves of things of the world in order to receive the spiritual, in order to receive what God has for us. We've got to make room. You ever, you ever, you ever needed like a bucket or something and every bucket or every container you have is just full? I did that a couple weeks ago. Um, had to change the oil in my truck and uh, the container I had, it was just, it was about a quart too much. And I needed a bucket, and I was running around the garage like a hoodlum looking for a bucket. I have about 50 buckets. They're all full of crap, you know, just full of junk. And I'm looking around, and I have to take the bu- one of my buckets and dump stuff out of it so I could go slide the pan out and get, you know, get that last little bit of oil that was draining out of the truck. And it's really frustrating. And, you know, you have to come to the point where you realize, like, you've got to free up some room in your life to receive the spiritual things that God wants you to have. Prayer and fasting is just a way, a venue, to, to, to receive the spiritual, to put your trust and faith in God. Last week I told you about the story of this woman named Anna who spent her life praying and fasting in the temple. <clears throat> and in Luke chapter 2, verses 36-37, it says that she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. And then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. So she was a young girl, 
young girl when she got married, young girl when her husband died. She lived as a widow till she was 84. And it says she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And some of you just think, man, that would be terrible. Like it would be super boring to just stay at church all the time, praying and fasting and not really having a life. Like that's, that's not for me. Well, it's like, that's okay if it's not for you. But there's also things that people like Anna were able to experience that you'll never get to experience because you're not willing to do it. And you, you have to consider that as a believer this morning. If you deny yourself the, the willingness to spend time fasting and praying, you are denying yourself things that God has for you that you're never going to be able to receive. Because while Jesus was born as the Messiah in flesh, there were a lot of people who got to lay eyes on Jesus Christ. There were a lot of people who touched Jesus. And a lot of those people, according to the Gospel of John, said despite everything that he did and all the miracles he performed, still few believed in him. But here's Anna who's been fasting and praying her entire life at the temple, which sounds pretty boring. And finally, at her ripe old age of 84, she's in the temple and she's fasting and praying. And on this certain day, the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is brought into the temple to be dedicated. And she gets to see Him with her own eyes. And she gets to touch Him with her own hands. And she knows exactly what it is that's happening. Because if it wasn't for the fasting and praying, if it wasn't for the communication and the rapport and the relationship that she had with her Heavenly Father, it would not have been communicated to her that she was going to see the Messiah, that she was going to get to experience this, that she was going to know who this baby was whenever he was brought in. She had something, she had knowledge, she had an understanding of what was going on at the most important and pivotal time in human history when no one else understood what was going on, she did. What's the difference? She lived at the temple, she fasted, and she prayed. She committed her life to God. And this morning, as a believer, you have to decide what you're going to commit your life to, how devoted you're going to be to your Father, and whether or not you're going to rob yourself of the things that God has for you in this life. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you got... I'll, I'll be honest with you. If any of you try to start just living here at the church all the time, we'll probably run you off. So don't sweat too much on it. But to understand the commitment that it takes to be a man or a woman of God, it's significant. It costs a lot. There will be a lot of sacrifice. That's no secret. It says that in Scripture over and over and over again. And if you want to live a life for the Lord and be committed to Him and, and to receive spiritual things and, 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 and to pray and, and to have that rapport with your Heavenly Father, you have to be committed to getting the world out of your life and quit being distracted by the things of the world and to be focused on heavenly, spiritual, eternal things. And fasting and prayer is just one of those ways that we do that. It gives us the ability to receive the things that we truly need. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for another beautiful day.
Thank you for letting it be dry today and not raining. God, I ask that you would speak through the hearts of these men and women in this room. I pray that you would guide them and help them to see the importance of sacrificing the things of this world in order to receive the spiritual, eternal things that you have for us. Lord, this life is just preparing us for eternity. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be ready. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.